Hello, welcome to Show Me Your Mic. I'm your host, Chris Enns. Show Me Your Mic is a podcast where I talk to other podcasters about their podcasts, and we podcast about podcasting. All the podcasts, all the time. On this episode, I've got Nicholas Young here from The Machine, a podcast network located in Chicago. We talk about uh, the shows he has on his network, the reasons why a show might be a good fit or might not. And of course, we talk about the gear and the geeky stuff of podcasting. There's an auxiliary episode as well that we record. If you check the show notes at goodstuff.fm slash smym slash 46, you can find a link for that. We talk about storage options for podcasting. Enjoy the show. I really appreciate you listening. Have a great day. Well, welcome to Show Me Your Mic, Nicholas. Thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Chris. I'm really enjoying it here thus so, far. So is it actually windy in Chicago? As they... It's not right now. And the funny thing is, I'll just take a minute to say this. A lot of people believe that Chicago got dubbed the Windy City because it's very windy here because it's a meteorological condition. And actually, that's not the case at all. It's because of our politicians, <laughs> which right. are always windy, including yes. right now. Is it? Uh, I, I'm not up on my... Um, Midwestern U.S. politics or what's going on right now? Right so now we have Rahm Emanuel as the mayor. And let's just say that when he failed to properly execute snow cleanup during the record-breaking snow this last season mm. and the, what was it, 20 below temperature drop, he's not going to get reelected. That's pretty much a historical thing as if the Chicago mayor who has recently elected fails to handle snow cleanup properly, then they often don't get reelected ever again. <laughs> That's funny, actually. In Saskatoon, where I live, we have issues with snow removal as well, and uh, but our mayor's been sticking around. So I don't know, maybe he'll have to have a mayoral uh, conference call to figure out <laughs> what to do or not not to do, I guess. But you can have a Saskatoon cleansing. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Tell me a bit about yourself. What's uh, before we get into the machine and, and your podcast network, uh, which looks awesome, by the way, and, and design and everything. But uh, what's what's podcasting to you, and how did you get into podcasting? So that's a really long story. So just warning, <laughs> you're opening yourself up here, but I will go okay. ahead and tell it because I think it's important for people to understand how somebody arrives at a certain point in time. And for me, podcasting started out back in 2004. I was previously doing some work on the radio, both on the AM and FM dial, and decided that I wanted to create a place where I could broadcast without any rules. And right around the same time, I saw Adam Curry crank up the Daily Source Code and some other you know, really popular podcasters who got started early on. I'd, I kind of heard about this thing called podcasting and RSS feeds and you know, really simple syndication. Like We were still working out what it meant to syndicate content specifically media content online, the standards were not really there. And so for some unknown reason or what have you, I decided to go ahead and give it a try. And so I started this little podcast called The Nick and Nick Show, in which it was me and another one of my radio expats joined us on, we got on the air together and we started doing this talk show. And we went around and we interviewed, you know, different people doing interesting things and it was a load of fun until we realized that some of the music we were playing was copyrighted and we were going to really get ourselves in trouble. And there wasn't at the time 
a licensing platform that allowed us to just, you know, pay the $500 a year or what have you and carry on. It's like the, the music industry hadn't quite caught up. And so we decided that given there was no way for us to go legal and that the music industry was really getting on the asses of podcasters and internet radio that we probably didn't want to continue doing that show for very long. So we ended up shutting it down, but the bug had already bit me. And I think we did maybe, I don't know, I want to say like 500,000 downloads in our six-week run. It was pretty significant. We, we were one of the first shows on the iTunes store when it launched. I mean, we were pretty awesome for our time, I suppose. And then I just kept doing, you know, little one-off shows. I, I moved to Nashville from rural Alabama where I was living before. I met some good people there. Uh, my friends Dave Delaney and Marcus Whitney who were inspirational in starting the whole podcast thing from Nashville. Mm-hmm. And started another show called Analytical Impressions and did kind of a talk show at the conver- at the c- convergence point, I guess you could call it, of art and marketing and how all those things sort of work. Ended up meeting uh, this gentleman named Zach Daggy, who had a show called The Moth Pod for a long time. And I believe it still holds the title as the longest running non-pod faded independent music show, which was loads of fun. And ended up getting picked to be on one of his panel shows called The Pod 5, which was sort of like the five most influential podcasters in North America. And it actually included a Canadian cohort, my friend Dwight Dunlop, who lives up there (laughs) in Canada. I forget exactly where, but (laughs) he's in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) That's a lot of Canada, so you never know. (laughs) He could be right next door to me for all I know. Not to be insensitive to uh, Canadians, but... You get what I'm saying. It's yeah. like, my geography is a little bit rough. Kind of like your Midwestern geography is a little bit rough. Yeah. That's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> I have driven past uh, Chicago or through Chicago once. So, Hey, that's fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was on this panel show called The Pod 5 and we would talk about things that impacted podcasters. We had an independent music contest. Like It was just a variety show. If you think of what Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel is today, like that's kind of what we had online. And it was loads of fun. That show eventually pod faded. But to kind of make a long story really short, I have done tons of different podcasts and tons of different genres. And the one thing that is consistent is I just wanted to create. I just wanted to tell somebody a story. And so I think it was maybe 2010 through 2011 or so, I ended up helping out my friend Zach, Zach, Zach Daggy on his show, The Moth Pod. And we kind of traded off DJ duties for a while before that show eventually pod faded. And then I spent a few years not behind the microphone and it really felt really weird and unnatural. And I started looking around and my friend Joshua Wentz, who's kind of my creative compatriot in the machine. And then Angie B who hosts the chill cast, which is I believe the longest running chill out podcast. And they were doing shows and kind of trying to find a home for their stuff. And, and then I wanted to start, some new programs too, like Inside the Machine and Dispatch and some of the shows that we have on the machine now. And I said, you know, I want to get back into this. And they're looking for a new place that we can all kind of gather together and pool our strength. And so why don't, why don't I just start a network? And at first that seems really ludicrous because who says, well, I'm just going to start a network. <laughs> 
or I guess a lot of people say <laughs> it, but so few people follow up on it because they don't yeah. understand the amount of time and effort that you're going to have to put in. But I said it and then set out to, to do it. And then, you know, in June of 2013, we had a functioning network. Nice. And so at that time, uh, did, that's what I was going to ask is when did the machine start June, 2013 did, uh, did you launch with the full, right now you have seven shows, but was it a, sort of that same slate of shows that you launched with or what did you start with? So let me actually pull up the homepage here because I kind of forget what we, what we launched yeah. with. <laughs> I have to go back and look at it. Yeah. It all kind of blurs together. I know the feeling of, but we launched with inside the machine dispatch and, uh, and kickstand and, and the, actually this is kind of an odd thing. The variant of kickstand that you see that is up there right now is not the variant that we launched with. I learned something launching the machine that talk shows and educational programming, that sort of thing, it, it works really well in an on-demand format. But the original version of kickstand that we launched with was this show where I would pick five tracks a week from our extensive vault of independent music here and spin it down for the listener in hopes that they would kind of digest this show in an easy format and be able to like go out and buy the music. Because all the music shows that I'd ever seen up to that point were an hour long. And I knew that people had a very limited interest. I knew they couldn't sit there and like enjoy every song for a solid hour. You know? Mm-hmm. They have a very, I'm trying to think of this word, limited um, like attention the, span. Yeah, That's the word. Yeah. So, yeah, people don't have a very long attention span. And I said, well, I'm going to shrink it down and do five tracks. And it turns out most of the people who would write me about that show were not writing to say, hey, the show's great, or I love it, please play more of this band, or play my band, or what have you. They were writing me to say, is this a band that I'm listening to right now? Because, like, I don't like this. And I'm like, yes, it's a band. Did you even listen to what I said at the beginning of the show? <laughs> and I realized that music podcasting in this era has to have a very specific niche. And I didn't think we really had a very good niche. And so we kind of discontinued that show and we rebooted it as basically recordings of live performances. Not just, you know, hey, we're going to play five tracks from the studio, but we're going to play live performances that we went out and we recorded and surprisingly people love that where they didn't really like the other format so so I it's know. uh that's i wanted to sort of run through some of the shows so I might as well just jump into the, the kickstand so that, that was actually one of the first ones i had on my list here so your your uh the original idea of just like you know pick you'd pick five songs and you just sort of talk about them or the artist or whatever a little bit that sort of didn't fly so much but the doing an, a live version of some of the and in a specific sort of niche of, of music is, is paying off a little better. Yeah, that's working a lot better. Yeah. And to be completely honest, I don't know why. It's one of those things that you just have to experiment and see if it flies. And apparently this time around it did. Because <laughs> that's, yeah, it would be, uh, well, like we were talking about before we started recording with RDO and Spotify and, you know, iTunes Match and whatever, you, wherever you happen to listen to music, um, these days, I guess people are so used to almost the idea of, well, I'll just, I, I don't want a radio to tell me what to listen to. I'm going to choose what I want to listen to. And so if, 
you know, presumably on a podcast like that, they might just, I would guess, maybe just turn it off because they don't like that music or I guess they could skip ahead five minutes or whatever if they wanted to. But right, that yeah. sort of technology isn't even that great in podcast players these days and it's getting better as far as skip features and stuff. But um, but yeah, that's interesting to, to sort of hear that because um, wouldn't, it wouldn't be my first inclination to listen to a live, to music period on a podcast because like I said, I'll just go listen to what I want. But as the idea of, you know, like you're doing now of finding uh, recording live versions so you get you know something different maybe than what's on the record or whatever yeah and i think for me that's part of the reason there's there's two camps there's the i'm going to play what i want and i want to go to spotify or audio when i want to you know get my music on demand like people don't even like cds anymore because pressing that skip button to get to their favorite track is too much of a hassle yeah (laughs) i love records i love cds i love old media because i can either transfer it to a digital format where I can engage it in that on-demand style. Or if I'm just in the mood and I want something play, I can put the record on and let it sit there and play. And so I love radio. Um, And I guess that's because I've become so tired of just being able to skip to whatever I want that it's almost, it's too easy. Right. Yeah, and what it I does understand. is it limits me within this particular genre or this set of rules about the things that I'll listen to. And I love music podcasts because I, I grew up listening to the radio. I grew up listening to people who were great tastemakers before radio became all corporate. And I love that those people would expose me to new music and new bands and things that I'd never heard before. And there's a certain contingent of my friends and, and our listeners who do enjoy that. But like you said, by and large, translating it to where we went out and recorded a live set with this particular artist definitely makes the show a lot more popular. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So that one's a couple episodes in in its reboot, I, I presume. Um, and then, Yes, uh, the reboot. <laughs> there's yeah. only two out now. <laughs> and it's more sporadic because, you know, we don't, we don't go to every show in Chicago. Right. That's something we want to do eventually. We are going to start moving it into more of a weekly format. But right now, it's a little bit difficult. Right. Um, the next one I have on my list was Ordinary Mortals, which is billed as Adventures of Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Feats. Sorry, my mouse was covering that <laughs> in health and fitness. What? Uh, give me the your, your pitch, I guess, as it were, for the show or, or or whatever you'd like to talk about the show. I'm just, I've never actually, I think the last time I interviewed somebody on a network who ran a network was possibly Dan Benjamin, which I think was the original connection you made with this podcast. Um, unless I'm mistaking. Uh, no, you're right. Interviews. Yeah. Okay. I've been doing a lot of booking stuff lately, so I could be crossing the streams or whatever, but um, yeah. So I, I'm curious to sort of get your, your take on the different shows you, you have and why and stuff. So anyways, ordinary mortals, what's the, what's the, the story behind that podcast? So Ordinary Mortals is hosted by a good friend of mine, Ovetta Sampson. She builds herself as a lifelong stealth athlete who basically learned how to swim and do sports as a young child, but never really engaged it until she was well into her adulthood. In 2004, she completed a triathlon and then kind of fell off the wagon and and didn't do much with health and fitness for a while. And then last year she completed her first Ironman, which for those of you who don't know, uh, it's like a 112 mile bike and a 
like a 24 mile swim. I mean, this thing is intense. Yeah. <laughs> it's not for the faint of heart at all. And when she did that Ironman, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to train up and do an Ironman. It was that she was severely overweight and really needed a goal, something to run after if she was going to improve her life. And I watched this transformation happen from her decision of I'm going to do this show or this performance, this sporting event. And then I watched her train just super hardcore day after day. And she was sharing the whole journey online. And I was just incredibly inspired. And, and I wasn't alone. There was a lot of people who were inspired by her journey as well. And it came to us kind of mutually as we were talking about her journey that there's a realization that when you see somebody do something extraordinary outdoors in health or fitness, when you see somebody who's like they're super fit or they can, you know, run 50 miles or what have you, you go, whoa, there's something about them that I don't have inside of me. It's like they're on a completely different plane. Mm -hmm. And so we started Ordinary Mortals to showcase these people who, yes, have achieved this supposed extraordinary feat. And yet their story starts exactly where we are. It's like we are all ordinary people. It's just that we set a goal and we chase after it and we hang on to it with a ferociousness that few people do. And she's had just a phenomenal list of guests, uh, starting with Terrence Lyles, who is the executive director of Men Run D Streets. They're a running group for inner city men here in Chicago that literally puts out in front their, their message of if you want to live a healthier life, if you want to be here for your kids or for your grandkids, like you've got to get up and you've got to get active. And she has had just, like I said, a, a run of fabulous guests. And this show is seven episodes in, I believe. So mm. she's just getting started. But I'm really excited to see where the show goes because we've had people all over the country who have dialed in to tell us that the stories and the interviews she's doing are just so empowering and that it makes them want to get up off the couch and do something awesome too. And I feel like that is the cornerstone of our entire network is if somebody listens to one of our programs and they don't get excited or they don't feel like they've been educated to do something that they were not ready to do before, then we've failed. It's like, we don't want to just produce stuff that's interesting or entertaining. We want to give people the tools to go out and change their life. Nice. That's lofty goals, but yeah, it's good to have obviously something more than uh, a good focus, I guess, for, for a collective of collection of shows. And that's, that helps. That's one of my questions later on was, you know, just deciding with a network, how you, you know, someone comes to you with a show, what do you do and how do you decide? And obviously that's a pretty big filter to sort of narrow things down as to whether a show would be appropriate for the machine or whoever's podcast network might be listening. Um, next one was the nexus I had, which seems like the, the, the very kind of topic that you would never want to talk about on the internet. And yet, <laughs> no, but talking faith and religion and uh, and things like that on on online. Obviously, with a podcast, you're you're selective or whatever with your your guests and things and your discussions. But but anyways, the what was the uh, what's the story behind that sh that show? Well, outside of the Chillcast, the Nexus is the only show that 
really came to me as a package deal. Everything else I pretty much have my hand in producing. And so I enjoy it when people come to me and they say, hey, I want to do this show. And I'm like, great. I don't have to do anything but publishing, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which is always nice. But the Nexus is exactly what its tagline builds it to be, where faith meets doubt, Christianity meets agnosticism, and our physical and spiritual lives collide. So the hosts of that are Randy Eddie McCain, who is an openly gay pastor in Little Rock, Arkansas. He recently released his book, And God Saved Judy Garland, which is kind of the story of his life coming to terms with his sexuality as someone who also believes in the Christian idea of God. And then Neil Campbell, who is, in my mind, the internet TV pioneer, he started the show Geek Brief TV way back in the day. Oh, yeah. And we met back in the Geek Brief days when I was doing some podcasting earlier. And he connected with me, I want to say maybe, I don't know, a year ago, six months ago, something like that. And brought this idea of an inclusive talk show that covered the idea of, of religion, but wasn't in love with it, if you know what I mean. Right. There's, there's tons of people who want to talk about religion, but it's obvious that they're in love with like one area of it. Like, oh, I'm a Christian and I'm going to talk to, you know, other Christians mostly, but I'm occasionally going to have an atheist on because I have to have this kind of token atheist. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I'm a Buddhist and I'm going to talk to mostly Buddhists and then I want to have this one token, you know, um, Christian on or what have you. Like there's so many people in the world of religion who just kind of get like stuck in their own thing. And what Neil wanted to do was create a show that said there's no right answers. And for the matter of fact, there's also really no wrong answers to the questions that we pose. It's like we're all trying to figure out what does it mean to be a human on this spinning blue dot in the greater universe? How do we justify our existence? What do our belief systems look like? How do we take on as people who are not just humans but, but spiritual beings the hot button issues of today. And so that's where, where the nexus started. I think the recurring theme in that show is the intersection between your sexuality and what you believe and whether or not those two things conflict. I know growing up as a fundamentalist Christian that the idea of being gay and Christian was just a complete oxymoron to me. And I've done a lot of reading and I've done a lot of research and I've tried to find my own belief on that. And I've come to believe eventually that you can be Christian and you can be gay. And like those two things are not mutually exclusive because the teachings in the Bible that people tend to, to build their anti-gay platform on are sketchy at best. And so hmm. this show really holds a, a special place in my heart because they're willing to take on just about anything. And they've had some really high-profile guests, Jay Baker, Peggy Campolo, um, Reverend Vince Anderson, Jim Swilly was on there, um, Teresa McBain, who is probably, I guess, the most well-known uh, atheist. And then they had Matthew Paul Turner, who is known online as Jesus Needs New PR. So... Interesting. It kind of reminds me of. Uh, unfortunately, it's look like looks like it's on hiatus right now, but or gone. I don't know. Uh, There's a show on Mule Radio Network called Impolite Company that similar uh, goals, I guess. And whether I obviously I haven't listened to every episode of both shows, but uh, that idea of just you know let's just discuss like we would around the table and not you know we're not 
yelling and screaming at each other. We're just trying to figure each other out and beliefs and stuff and where each other lies and and people can listen in and learn a little more about everybody. So yeah. Um Moving on, the chill cast, because I want to get through them all here. <laughs> yeah, we do have a few to <laughs> So this one, uh, you, you referenced earlier, a uh, uh, local DJ, I'm assuming, that she picks the music and, or produces the music and and uh, puts out a podcast with with it up to 413 episodes, so obviously a little more, uh, around a little longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, and we're not hosting all 413 at this point. We're working on getting them all up there, but... <laughs> If you've been around in the podcasting scene for any length of time, there's two names you'll know. Adam Curry, guy from Daily Source Code, who yeah. is credited with basically starting the whole podcasting revolution. And then Angie B, who was on his pod show network way back in the day. I think Andy was one of the first signees to pod show. And the Chillcast has been around forever. I don't even know when it started. But I've listened to Angie's show for a long time. I'd, I'd known her as a really talented podcaster. I think Adam Curry even dubbed her as, quote, the sexiest voice in podcasting, which is quite an honor to have somebody of Curry's stature give you a title like that. And back in, I guess, late 2013, so, you know, late last year, she sent me an email and said, hey, Pod Show has basically been bought once again. Um, Adam Curry's network basically just got bought out over and over and over again. And the latest incarnation of that is now called Bite Size Networks. And she said they they want to focus on just video content. And they're going to essentially kick all the audio shows to the curb. To which I said, that's a terrible idea, but, you know, it's it's not the first terrible idea they've had or executed <laughs> on. So I'm just going to let them go. And she said, I'm looking for a new home. I said, well, why don't you move over here? And so we just, you know, we took this show that was started way back in the day with old podcasting money and brought it over to our network. And it's been a fun ride ever since. Nice. Yeah, it's good. that's what's kind of neat, I guess, with the, and there's been shows in the sort of tech circles that I'm in where they move around a bit, but the show keeps going and finds a better home or you know, sometimes just more appropriate home and um, the audience moves with it usually and the show can keep going. So um, Above the Cloud is a music discovery show mining the depths of SoundCloud, bringing a selection of tracks to new heights every week. So similar but using SoundCloud as a sort of source, right? I would guess. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Angie's stuff is more down-tempo, you know, chill house, that sort of thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Joshua doesn't limit himself on Above the Cloud. So Joshua Wentz is my co-creator sort of of the machine. And this is one of the shows that he hosts solo. He's a multi-instrumentalist and composer. He lives here in Chicago and he's been in all kinds of bands. He's got a two-piece act right now called Brash Flare, which is phenomenal. That If people are looking for something new to listen to, that's a good band. He was also one of the anchors in the electro rock band Absinthe from the Dirty Floors and not long after the machine launched, he came to me with the idea of this show where he would go to SoundCloud, type in a search query that related somehow to what his week had been like, you know, um, in my backyard, like he had just had a party or uh, the new world where he was, you know, going to to New York to do some some work that he'd never done before, that sort of thing. Sweet heat when the heat actually was around <laughs> this summer. 
So he would go back and he would, you know, keyword search SoundCloud for these different um, phrases. And then he would play music based off what he found in that keyword search. And it's kind of cool because he'll take tracks that have been on SoundCloud for four or five years and never really received the airplay that they deserve. And he'll put them on the show and then people actually go, you know, back to the original SoundCloud link and end up downloading it or commenting on it or what have you. And so it, it's a way to give this music that is really great that's on SoundCloud that just hasn't received the attention some some new audience members. Interesting. Yeah, it's neat. And is there, I know you're connected very well and very familiar and understanding licensing and music licensing and stuff. So is there, uh, I could see someone sort of jumping off on that idea, maybe doing something similar. Is there licensing issues with SoundCloud that you have to watch out for where each uh, artist or song perhaps level is licensed differently? Or is it all because it's on SoundCloud, it's public domain or fair use? That's a really good question. And the whole public domain SoundCloud thing is a, is a really like hairy thing to navigate. Um, yeah, you're not case, a lawyer. so <laughs> Right. You know, take what I say with a grain of salt. Um, but I've actually been approached by a couple of different people asking that, that question. Uh, some of them in, in relation to above the cloud and some of them not. And, and here's what I tell them. Uh, n- number one, the music that we play on above the cloud is, is often with the artist's permission um, they've, they've, they've given it away for, for free download or they've, you know, explicitly put a license on there that says, Hey, you know, please remix this or what have you. And in many cases it's, it's the latter. It's that there's a there's license on there that allows you to do that. And, and so I think a lot more artists are starting to get hit to things like creative commons and some of these other copyleft licenses that allow DJs and producers and people to put their stuff out there without worrying about legal repercussions. And the other thing is, it's all from indies. You know, there's no big label stuff that gets played on there. And speaking just culturally, a lot of the independents will say, yes, please play my stuff. You know, don't, don't even bother to ask, you know, just spread the word about what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Give me more downloads, give me more plays, give me more album sales, what have you. And while I still generally recommend that people check with the artists, it is true that the indies are more open to that. And I've been music podcasting since, you know, 2005, I guess, somewhere around in that time. So I know a lot of people in the indie music scene. And, you know, because of who I am and who I've talked to and and what I've done in the past, like I I have a lot of just, you know, blanket licenses Mm -hmm. that people have given me. Oh, yeah, sure. Play my stuff, of course, you know. And, and that's because I've established ourselves with quality content. Like we've always been a really high quality um, network. And I tried to make all the shows that I produced before the network really high quality. And so. Yeah. And the artist can trust that you're not going right. to mangle their music, so to speak, whether it's through, you know, terrible compression or you're playing it next to whatever, some, not to yeah. disparage Britney Spears, but some. <laughs> some other song or pop thing or whatever, like whatever the case may be that where it's, you know, used commercially and, and to sell more podcasts or whatever is, as if we can right. make money yeah. that way. But. <laughs> and so, I mean, to, to anyone who's looking for music licensing, you know, first of all, look for an explicit license. Number two, if they don't, if you don't find that reach out to the artist and say, Hey, can I play your stuff? Their manager or maybe their publicist, like those people can also give you the okay as well. 
Beyond that, I would just say establish a repertoire. Like, I know, I know. I mean, I've been told recently a couple of times that, well, reaching out to the artist is too much work and I just want to start my show and spread good music. But you have to remember that if somebody were to just take your show and do something else with it, yeah. unless you allowed them to, or they had established a repertoire with you as someone who was not going to just rip you off, they actually had good intentions for you and your creation, then you would get upset too. And so understand that you know, whether it's a musician or a graphic designer or what have you, there's another creator, there's another artist on the side of that. And you want to treat them fairly. And so, you know, music podcasting is a hard thing. You just have to put in the time and establish yourself before people are going to give you just these kind of automatic okays. Right. Which actually, uh, segueing into the next show, um, just happened to look here. Dispatch is a show you, you do uh, also with Joshua. Um, just looking at episode 51 is called entitled Know Your Rights. I'm talking about copyrights. And so I don't know if specifically you're talking about streaming, but just artistic licenses and rights. And you're talking with a lawyer who can probably speak a little more <laughs> fluently or whatever on, on some of these as well. So that might be an episode to check out for people. Um, so, yeah. And the dispatch then is a podcast you're doing. So what's that you actually are involved in? What's the the story behind that show? So dispatch is as we build out a talk show at the intersection of art, culture, and commerce. And Joshua and I started this show because we realized that there was a lot of talented artists who were afraid of business. They were afraid of trying to monetize their work, afraid that that would somehow devalue or demean the artistic spirit that they'd put into what they were making. And I know a lot of people like that. There's, they're afraid of success. They're afraid of being able to make what they love, what they do is their nine to five. And I, I'm never going to say that everybody has to make that jump. But at least for me, I had to make what I love my living. There's no way that I could not do that. I, I would feel a certain level of drudgery if I didn't. And so based on the premise that we knew a lot of people didn't, didn't understand how business worked and were afraid of it, we set out to create a show that talked about the intersection between artists monetizing their work and then how their work was influencing culture. And by and large, I think, I think it's worked out. I mean, we've had a lot of people who even came on the show that were kind of scared about taking that next step. And, and now looking at it six months after, they've, they've done a lot of stuff that I think previously they wouldn't have done because they were so scared of it. And yeah, we talk about a, a bunch of different stuff. I mean, the latest episode, number 56, is called Getting Paid. And that's talking about, you know, if you're a freelancer or if you're a musician or if you're doing anything where you need to get paid by your client, this is how we go about it. Um, sometimes we delve off and we talk about just things that are going on in the creative community and how it affects us. We call that life without potato salad, episode 53. And of course, everybody got up in arms about the potato salad Kickstarter, but not really many people talked about, you know, does this, does this devalue Kickstarter? Does this change the way that we're going to look at it as artists who are on the platform to do something honest and real? You know, in my mind, it kind of does. 
Um, like you said, Know Your Rights, episode 51, which is, we had a conversation with Stephen Wolfson, a copyright attorney and law librarian at the University of Texas. You know, even if you're not afraid of business and, and you want to put your work out there for sale, then you have to understand that, you know, what are your rights? What if somebody takes that piece of music and uses it in a way that you did not approve of? So mm-hmm. I guess we talked about copyright and enforcement of that kind of in a, in a more general world. But that's the premise of dispatch is just trying to educate people so they're not afraid. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And then good premise. And then you make your, like you said, you're sprinkling in a bit of discussion. Like I noticed there's a WWDC episode, Apple's episode. So, you know, a bit of tech as it relates back to how you might run a business or, or freelancer or whatever, those kind of things, which is a good kind of general or specific topic. But, you know, you're still incorporating general uh, stuff going on in the world as it relates to those people. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, because when we're as artists, we look at, we look at what's going on, right? We look at, like, like I said, the potato salad Kickstarter, or we look at WWDC and we look at Microsoft's new product or what have you. And, or, or maybe a popular artist says something that's controversial. And we think, oh, well, well that's, that's worlds apart from what we're doing. But in reality, when, when that popular figure or that influential company says or does something, that knowledge is going to trickle down. It's almost kind of like a, an earthquake effect where the people who are around us are going to be consuming our work. Like they're going to be influenced by that event that happened at the larger, uh, larger world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so we have to understand as artists who are usually very insular, as I'm sure you can understand, like we, we love to just get in our little cocoon and do our work that, there's other things happening and it affects how other people perceive our work. And so that's what we end up talking about in the news is like, we want people to understand like, you know, you're, you're a little insular artist and this affects you whether you think it does or not. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So finally inside the machine is your solo show looks like as far as, um, Hosting my soapbox. <laughs> yeah, everybody, every podcaster needs a solo show where they can just uh, do their own, do their own ranting or or whatever and what have you. But uh, in this one, it's a in-depth interviews beyond the sixty-second soundbite is how it's built. So, uh, an artist featured show, um, and you're on episode as of yeah forty-nine as of this recording. Anyways, uh, what are you what are you hoping to do with this show, and what's your what's your fun with it? <laughs> So inside the machine is my little rebellion to what I call the 15 minute radio interview where an artist comes into the studio and the DJ says, Hey, tell me about your latest single. Okay. Well, you know, it's got guitars and it's got drums and all these things. And it sounds really good because I'm in a dance music phase right now. Oh, that's great. Let's play it. You know, and the DJ punches it up. Well, that gives you no context. And I believe that in today's world, we listen to music, we go outside of our comfort zone, we do things because of context. It's, it's one thing for you to be like, oh, that song is catchy on the radio. And it's a totally different thing for your friend to say, hey, I discovered this band and you might really like them. You're more apt a hundred times over to listen to the band that your friend recommended because they have context, because they know what your taste is. And so likewise, Radio DJs and people who are supposed to be presenting new music to you in this format of the 15-minute interview that just punches to 
whatever's the latest thing, they don't allow you to absorb any context. When I think about a, the work that a musician is doing right now, I don't see it as rooted in the last six months, even though it may have only took them, you know, the last six months to produce this single. I see the roots of that going back as far as a decade. For some people, it's more like 20 years. And that's because what they're creating now is the summation of all the work they've done up to this point as a creator. Like it doesn't, it doesn't cut off at the time when you enter and leave the studio. It's the time when you're walking down the street and you hear a beat or you're trying to figure out how do I mesh this other style of music that I love. Like those sort of influences go really deep. And so what I do with Inside the Machine is I have musicians in. It's a completely unscripted interview. And we'll sit there and talk about their entire history from the moment that they started as an artist, the moment that they woke up and said, I'm going to be a musician or I'm going to be an artist. Maybe, maybe I don't know I'm going to be a musician just yet, but I'm going to be some sort of creator all the way up to the present day. And then we try to punctuate those really important points in their career with different tracks from their discography. And sometimes the show is an hour. Sometimes it's an hour and a half. We've aired some two hour shows, but we take as long as is necessary for us to present the full picture um, the artist's work. And are you, uh, are you playing music from the artist um, in, mixed in with the interview or is it kind of like discussion for an hour or whatever, but then, you know, here's go listen to the music on your own kind of idea. No, the music is mixed in. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. you know, we, when we get to, let's say we're talking about this, this band Tall Wonker, they're a really cool rock trio from Chicago. Um, you know, when the band first got together, which I think was about, I don't know, maybe, 20 or 30 minutes in to the show, we sat down and we played a track from their debut record. And so as we get to the points where the band or the musician or the act, I guess you would call it in more of a general term is evolving, then I want to stop and I want to play music that is from that era. Right. And are you doing that live with the person or is it mixed in in post that you would put the music in? You, right now it's mixed in in post. Right. Um, we have occasionally just kind of played music in the room so that people can get a feel for it because we've actually had a surprising number of bands who have changed out members over the last few years. And <laughs> we end up, you know, digging way back into their discography. And we have one member who's like, wait, I, this song that you guys picked, I, I've never heard this. <laughs> and so I, I end up kind of playing it for them. But right now it's all in post. Going live is one of the things that we really want to do, but it's also kind of been a hard thing given the nature that so many of our shows are produced remote and they all have such complicated production. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I want to touch on that in a bit. And, um, it sounds like this, uh, a, a guy who, well, a co-founder of good stuff with me, Adam Clark, he has a show called the gently mad and that's kind of the, he's been interviewing a lot of web designers and, and, uh, sort of web folks, but he's transitioning to interviewing musicians and stuff now as well. He's down in Chattanooga, close to Nashville. And so, um, just see, take this moment to say, I love Adam Clark and the gently mad. Oh, nice. Great show. There you go. So it sounds like anyways, you guys could have a good chat about how, uh, how the connections anyways, I'm thinking, <laughs> cause that's what he's, he has some connections of his own and he's kind of like, you know, just trying to figure out the whole, like interviewing musicians and artists that way where he's been interviewing digital, you know, 
designer artists, I guess, as it were, up to this point. So exciting times ahead. So worth worth checking out that show if you're liking uh, Inside the Machine, possibly. Um, I can definitely give him a bunch of links to publicists and people who I've found that really embrace the idea of podcasting. Because yeah, let's be honest. I mean, I had to make a video the other day to show somebody how to subscribe. I thought it was mainstream already, and apparently, I'm realizing that (laughs) it's not the case. Yeah, I know that's still the biggest hurdle to overcome. I think for podcasting in terms of listening audience, growing audience, it's just there's just still technical difficulties getting people to listen. I mean, aside from like I I was going to touch on, is your your site itself is great. Like the nice, it looks beautiful. It's very easy to figure out okay that's where the play button would be and you know that kind of stuff and that's how i would listen but even that it's it still is just a there's some people who i know will just listen from the web page and never even understand the idea of subscribing and yeah why yeah, you have even a lot of those yeah uh, which is fine i mean it, as long as people are listening at the end of the day it doesn't matter it's just kind of like you feel like hey there's there is an easier way you can do this and then you can do it when listening in your car or whatever later and those kinds of right, things so yeah. um I'm just going to stop for a quick sponsor break um, and then we'll right. come back to recording and gear and some of that stuff that I want to touch on too. So um, our sponsor for this episode of Show Me Your Mic is Campaign Monitor. And uh, if you're a listener of the show and listener on good stuff, you're probably familiar with Campaign Monitor. They've been supporting us from the very beginning and we, of course, love them. We Hopefully you're a subscriber to the Good Stuff newsletter goodstuff.fm slash newsletters where you can subscribe. I think it's, well, it's definitely the best newsletter on Good Stuff. I don't know if it's the best network or email from the podcast networks. <laughs> I'm biased because I write it. It's also the only letter, newsletter on Good Stuff. But um, we've been loving it. I've been showing off some of the little features behind the scenes to the other hosts in our, our Slack chat room and just the, the ability to, for example, send out, when you send out an email blast or newsletter, you can, uh, I hate the word blast. I don't know why I just used that. Email newsletter, you can... Uh, uh, watch it go out in real time around the world. It, it anonymizes the data and stuff if you want. Um, you as the user can see when you know different subscribers uh, open it or click or whatever and stuff like that, but you can it anonymizes the data if you're sharing it with uh, colleagues or whatever, and they can just see the little blips on the map, uh, sort of like Google Maps thing of, of when your email is getting opened around the world. And it kind of it makes for a really neat, um, I found anyways, like we don't have a, hundreds of, of subscribers, but... It does kind of like you recognize, okay, well, that person actually is listening probably to our podcast network from Atlanta or from Australia or wherever they happen to be in the world. And uh, it kind of just connects all the dots, I guess, as it were, of your listeners and your readers if you're sending out emails. So um, their brand new uh, campaign design template builder called canvas.cm is where you can check that out. Is also great. I've been using it to sort of redesign each issue of the Good Stuff newsletter and just quickly within minutes have a new template set up and just filling in the content and stuff like that. So uh, go check them out, campaignmonitor.com or canvas.cm. Like I said, my thanks to Campaign Monitor for supporting good stuff and show me your mic. And now we get into getting into the fun stuff, talking about equipment, <laughs> talking about code, all that sort of whatnot. Because yeah, I built the, the website. So yeah, I was going to ask take you. Take my hat off to that. Yeah, the, so the CMS that you're using or content management system or whatever, what you you're hand coded or what did you what are you using doing so it is hand coded and we started off with a rails cms which is pretty good by and large i mean i started out in my developer career kind of as a php guy and then i'm migrating over to doing rails and that sort of thing and we got to a point late last year where our rails dashboard was not really cutting it 
Um, we had the embeddable player and the image, you know, the, the, the podcast, uh, CMS, all that sort of stuff. That was all on, on one basically ginormous Rails app. And, oh, feed rendering too. Feed rendering is a big one for us. And uh, it wasn't working so well. I mean, we were just getting slammed. And this is, you know, this is before we, we had some of the more modern Rubinius interpreters and things that allowed Ruby to do better multi-threading come out. And so I was kind of stuck because it would take, you know, to, uh, you know, two or three seconds to load the page. And that was sort of awful. And so now what we're actually running is the back end. Our admin is a, a Rails admin powered Rails app. And then everything on the front end is Node.js. So um, it actually gives us a, a tremendous speed boost. And literally the, the way the CMS is structured is there's kind of the, the front end CMS that just does nothing but render user facing pages. And then we also have a separate feed engine that renders our feeds, a separate analytics engine that takes care of the analytics, all that sort of stuff is like the own, it's almost separate app. Nice. That's uh yeah, a little bit over my head as far as I, Tim, uh, Timothy Smith of good stuff here coded our CMS and, uh, and it's, yeah, I, the, I was a long time WordPress user. I still am for my work, but, uh, as far as podcasting, I was a long time WordPress user and it works great for, 90% of the people out there starting a podcast and nothing. Oh, sure. Happen. Yeah. But yeah, the ability to have a in-house, so to speak, programmer and code and customizing your CMS to that degree is, has been awesome. And I'm sure you love that as well. Cause it's just, um, you want your own features, you have things you want to add on and you can just do it. It's not <laughs> finding right, a plugin right. or whatever. Um, You're talking about how easy the website is to use. And I'm, I'm really glad that somebody sees that. I tried to keep it dead simple but in my opinion right now, we're still struggling from some of the same problems that every podcast network is struggling with. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to change some stuff. I've got, I've got some next generation stuff that's kind of been percolating in my head for a little while. And so we're actually going to be going through a, a redesign here in the not too distant future. It'll hopefully help us kind of get um, more new people into subscribing and, and getting the shows and that sort of thing. Because I mean, like you said, we, we have this problem as, as podcasters, we create great content and still there's tons of people who would love to receive that show every week. And yet they find themselves going to the web player to download or to stream the latest episode and, and what have you. And they never get the benefit of, of podcasting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's the whole, um, I don't know if this is one of the issues you're struggling with, but I know with good stuff too, there, you know, you have just for an example, I hit your homepage and then it's true on good stuff as well. It's not like we've solved this. The there's, it's about four clicks. Sometimes I guess uh, clicking right to an episode. Sometimes it's two clicks to play an episode or start listening, but sometimes you click through to a show or let's say, and then you have to click through to an episode. And, you, and so yeah. do you put players on the homepage and so people can just play or do you, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And just like sort of uh, in the same way that you're talking about with your music podcasts, of discovery, there's kind of this lack of discovery in podcasting, I guess, where we have our silos, so to speak, of genres or, or interests or whatever, but it's hard to sort of know. I'd never heard of, for example, well, the machine, for example, I'd never, <laughs> never heard of it until you, you emailed me and, and wanted to come on the show and stuff. And then of course, there's lots of interesting stuff here that I would have happily listened to if I just knew about it. And, um, and there isn't obviously a sort of massive, there's iTunes and things like that, but there isn't sort of that kind of like what you're saying, tastemakers and people kind of like 
almost like we need a podcast show about podcasts that just samples <laughs> somehow for five minutes that you like, I like right. the sound of that voice. That sounds good. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, kudos to you. Hats off to you for, for building a, a great site and, and obviously also st- st- testing and stressing, I guess, about what should be happening next in the, in the podcasting sort of tech world as well. So, um, the uh, I don't know if there's more to say on the CMS, but the gear that you're using to record with and stuff. What's you you'd mentioned at the start, I guess maybe it was before we started recording of being in a studio. So you're are you in actual studio space, as it were, or just a, like a home studio, or what? What do you use? I'm in my spare bedroom that has been converted to a broadcasting studio. Nice. So so starting it's from kind of nice mic down, I guess. Where are we? <laughs> sure. Start starting from the mic down. Um, <laughs> everything is. Pretty much every mic in the studio is a Heil PR40, and we love our Heil mics, just like nice. a lot of the other podcasters do. Yeah. Um, I guess I should say, I, I kind of, I started my, my career as a media guy doing radio production and that sort of thing. I veered off and I did software for about a decade, and then I ended up back in media because I got burned in software and decided that wasn't really what I wanted to do. And so, like, I have an even deeper background in doing audio and production, that sort of thing that I do in, in doing the software. Like the software is kind of the, the weird thing that I just decided to go off and do for a while. Um, I can't completely tell you why, but I'm sure, <laughs> you know, you have a winding path that led yeah. you to where you are today. Um, but yeah, I, I've tried a lot of mics. I tried the, the Electro Voice RE20s and the RE25s and those sort of things and didn't really like them. I almost went with like the Shure SM7Bs, but I didn't like that the, the element inside was just too small for me. And so I ended up, you know, buying a Heil PR40 and was just blown away, um, especially the fact that I can email Heil Sound with any questions. And I more often than not get an email back from Bob Heil, the guy who started the whole company. Right. <laughs> and if anybody doesn't know, I mean, he was responsible for building the wall of sound for the Grateful Dead. So this guy, I mean, he knows his stuff. And so, yeah, Heil Sound microphones. We have one PR30 in the studio for some people who don't quite resonate that well on the PR forties, it's hanging on a Heil PL2T boom. And then that runs back into my Onyx 1220i Mackie mixer, which we're going to be hopefully replacing here soon. It's kind of getting a little bit aged. Everything's recorded in Logic Pro. And then that's Logic Pro. That rig is running on my MacBook Pro. And then we also have a little Mac mini over here that kind of serves as my Skype box for Mix minuses and that sort of whatnot. Nice. Um, um, you mentioned replacing the, the Onyx twelve twenty i. Is that um, is the the mixer itself is sort of you're running you're running out of tracks and things like that, or is it just that it's gotten dusty and so to speak and needs fresh? <laughs> it definitely needs some cleaning. That's for sure. <laughs> every um, uh, I'm sure every mixer needs. <laughs> but but yeah, it's we're just running out of space. I mean, we want to start doing more live events. We want to we want to take some of the shows live. Um, and I, I'm finding that it's just going to be really hard to do without acquiring a tremendous amount of outboard gear to do it the way that I want to do it. And, and so that's something we're looking at. I, I think what we're going to eventually do, um, and this is actually something that, that might be useful to, to other podcasters, other podcast networks as well, is we're looking at spinning off the machine into what we call an L3C which is a hybrid corporation that exists somewhere in between the traditional worlds of a 501c3 and an LLC. Essentially, it has more components from a 501c3 than 
an LLC does. And we're going to do that and go over some, some foundation funding because what I kind of see what we're doing is like, we're a slightly edgier version of NPR in many ways. Like we, we have a, a, a wide array of shows and, a, you know, a wide array of, gosh, if I can talk, a wide <laughs> array of experience uh, among our hosts. And, and so I, I, I want to continue to do like more stuff in that vein. And I think taking it live is kind of the, the next logical step for us. And we've tried to produce nothing that is not just top notch. And I want our live stream to be that same way. And so hopefully we're going to, like I said, we're going to spin off our L3C, go after some, some foundational funding and um, probably also kind of kickstart, you know, the, the rebuilding of, of a new studio. And then, here in a year or so, hopefully we'll be sitting on, you know, Telos or Axia or, or real, you know, pro radio gear rather than just kind of this cobbled together setup that I've put together that, that, that got us through the first year. I mean, it, it does a good job. I'm not downplaying any of the equipment that we're using right now, but it's not going to stick with us for the next decade. Right. And that's, you know, your background in radio and, and things like that and audio engineering and things like that probably would lend yourself to knowing what you're missing out on, whereas a lot of podcasters, uh, would myself included, I guess, would wouldn't necessarily know what you're missing, and so you're kind of the the thing you have getting the PR40, say for me or whoever happens to be listening, is like as far as I know the pinnacle, right? And then you you sort of grow with that, um, and that's yeah, it's a uh, it's an exciting sort of avenue if you're at all sort of a gearhead to to be <laughs> messing around in because it's all the knobs and lights and whiz bangs and cables and whatever. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the reasons that we're going to eventually, well, like I said, channels right now, we're outgrowing the, the 1220 high. Mm -hmm. It is a great little mixer. It will be retired, cleaned up, and probably become our, our live remote board. But I think more than anything, what podcasts and radio do for people is they give access. And that's something that I've had to learn. It's a hard, hard lesson. Some of our best shows of dispatch are places that we've went on location and taped the show in an environment where, you know, people are having interesting conversations, but they're not necessarily in our studio. We went to this event called the Greener Ravenswood event where we covered some vendors who are doing, you know, green things for their businesses that did not just benefit them, but benefit our community. And those are conversations that we could have had in the studio, but we, you know, we went to this event where it was already happening. And so I want to start being able to take people live there and, we're going to eventually move, like I, like I said, to a, an audio over IP system where there's very few XLR cables and a whole lot of Cat5e. And that will allow me basically to set up one mix engine and then have multiple live input feeds, multiple studios if we want, and, and set everything up in such a way that we can just grab any piece of audio off the network, period. We also get some cool, like you said, whiz-bang features like automatic mix minus and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to manually configure this because right now i mean i've got two aux sins from mix minus and i don't get you know i don't get all the, the toys but it'd be nice to have every channel have its own automatic mix minus and that's something that going with a purely digital audio over ip system is going to give me in the future nice yeah that's a whole area i haven't even well probably for the sake of my wallet but haven't really <laughs> even delved down into is the the audio over ip thing just because i know once i start it's just going to be uh too much drool maybe is the well, the good news is you can build a, a proper live studio that is designed to function as both a podcasting studio and a live radio studio for about 20 grand. Oh, there you go. Which is not that bad when you consider what you're building. 
Yeah. And that's, that's again, the thing, like a, a first time podcaster who's saving up for the $350 Heil thinks 20 grand is crazy. That's a ton of money and it is a lot of money by any stretch. But the fact that, you know, whatever, five years ago, 10 years ago, that would have been a hundred grand or something, you know, to do that same thing is, is what's awesome and sort of mind blowing in its own way. Um, yeah. I mean, and, and I'm doing this, I should say, because we have a lot of people who are clamoring for us to take this content live. And so it's not that I'm just, oh, I want to go live. But yeah. <laughs> part of it is that when we go out to have these discussions or when we have somebody like Max Timken in the studio to talk about creating Cards Against Humanity, which we did back on, I want to say, episode, I'll have to look it up. It's on Dispatch somewhere. The, these are guests that have answers to questions that Joshua or I are not capable of asking. Like if we were to ask someone's question, we wouldn't be able to do it in, in the way that they are going to ask it. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. they have a perspective as, as a caller or someone who's joining the show. And I want to get them the best answer that I possibly can. And so part of doing that is, is allowing them to, to get into the conversation and bring their own perspective along with it. So people are asking for this. It's just a matter of, you know, hey, you guys want this, then I'm going to need you to, to contribute to help us take it to the next level. Right. And when you said, uh, well, two things, I guess, to clarify, when you say live, do you mean physically you're going live, but also streaming live or which, which one are you meaning there? Well, I mean, everything we are record is, is kind of quote unquote live to tape. Right. And, and so, yeah, when I say live, I mean, the, the show itself happens live. It is in a live environment where it's streaming out. Um, if somebody ever did offer us FM syndication, which is really expensive, um, you know, we would take it for sure. Um, so for some of the shows, I guess, I mean, because there's some shows like Inside the Machine that because there's such a variable link, like they're never going to have a home on, tr- on the traditional radio dial. Um, but dispatch and the things that I have more of a fixed length to, then, then yeah, I mean, those, those would work. But yeah, streaming is going to be kind of my, my next foray. Um, but I want to do it in such a way that we are able to maintain the quality that we have in the downloadable shows as well. Right. And uh, also, but also live in the sense of going out to... I don't know if that's live, I guess, what the word would be, but on location. On location. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's another big thing, too. Like, like I said, you know, what do, what do podcasts and radio offer people in, in this world of Spotify and audio and content on demand? Like, they offer access. They offer a place where you can hear conversations and perspectives that you would have never heard before that you can then learn from and go integrate into the decision-making you're going to have to do later on. And I think going out to these various places and being able to take a live stream of interviews that we're creating in the field, bring that back into the studio and put that out on the stream, yes, it's a logistical nightmare, but it's it's perspectives being offered in real time. And I think there's a lot of value to that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um what I what I wrap up we're just past the hour so what I wrap up most shows with is uh, get a list of some of the podcasts that you yourself are listening to and then also the apps that you are using to listen to them on so I don't know if you have a do you need me to stall for a second to go go grab your oh I'm good I got my phone right here yeah I guess most people Um, so yeah what are some of the the podcasts I guess in in your world that you're listening to that whether they're big name or, or more obscure that people might not have heard of so I'll start with one that is actually relatively new. It's in episode 10. It's by a guy named Brett Henley, who I know from uh, my escapades down in Nashville. And he has a show called The Mindful Creator. 
this show is kind of interesting. It was almost a machine FM show. And uh, then he decided to kind of give it a, a go on his own. He's doing fabulous stuff with it. Uh, but yeah, The Mindful Creator is kind of a show about, I don't know, it's, it's like dispatch minus the business. It's just kind of, you know, how do we maintain our, our lives and our perspectives as artists, you know, while doing great work. And so I'm really excited about that show. He's had tons of great guests, CC Chapman, Dave Delaney, um, Paul Jarvis has been on there. So this is just a, a fun, fantastic show. Another uh, also kind time. of, yeah. Sorry. Also kind of uh, seeking off of that. I mean, Dave Delaney's show, New Business Networking, has been really good as well. Um, if you want to know how to grow your business or grow your network or, you know, think about expanding into new markets with whatever it is you do. I mean, Dave is a, a world-class consultant and in my opinion, kind of one of the non-sleazy experts on, on what it means to, to network and to, to go out into your community and to basically build a job for yourself because that's essentially what, what he did. I mean, he moved into Nashville when, when I was living down there with, with no idea what his career was going to look like and he basically built out this whole marketing career for himself. And so, yeah, do some non-sleazy networking, you know, <laughs> learn how to connect with people and not just take value, but offer value. And that show is really good. And let's see, is there, is there maybe one more? I'm going to go with something that is, is NPR produced, but is also kind of off the beaten path. I mean, we all know Radio Lab and This American Life and that sort of thing. Everybody listens to that. But my local public radio station, WBEZ 91.5 here in Chicago, has been doing this show called Curious City. And while the show itself may not necessarily be of international interest, I think the concept is something that more people should adopt. And the principle of this show is they have people call in and ask these lingering questions about the city. For instance, you know, what is a sister city? What are Chicago's sister cities? Um, why did Illinois up until recent history prohibit car sales on Sunday? You know, these sort of weird things that, that you think about in passing, but you never really dive into it and go, oh, like, oh, yeah, that's a weird question, but like, I have nobody to answer it. And in fact, it's probably so obscure that Google doesn't even have an answer for it. And so they put public radio reporters on these hard questions and then created a, a short little 20-minute radio show out of each answer. And it's just super cool. Hmm, that's interesting. And as far as podcasting apps goes, man, you caught me at a really interesting time. <laughs> <laughs> I use Pocket Cast because I like it. I, I, I like the guys behind it. I, I recommend it to a lot of people because it works on both Android and iPhone and, and more and more I'm finding people that are consuming podcasts exclusively on their phone and they're just, you know, downloading when they're at home on Wi-Fi or maybe they're like me and they've gotten grandfathered into the unlimited data on AT&T. But I don't know. I mean, I, I wonder if that's going to have to change with iOS 8 coming out and the new Apple Podcasts app being A, pre-installed and B, where you can't get rid of it. So... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my recommendation is, is still Pocket Cast from Shifty Jelly. Great app, great design, reliable, fast. I mean, all the things that make an app great, cross-platform. But um, yeah, know. especially that that uh, syncing between iOS and Android. I, I, I use Pocket Cast. Well, I, sh I should say I'm experimenting with um, Overcast.fm right now. Um, 
But uh, sort of going back, I still like Pocket Casts overall as the better one. But especially if folks are, you know, and they may have an iPhone and an Android tablet or vice versa. Right. That idea is is a is something that not a lot of podcast players on mobile devices support, sort of cross-platform syncing and playlist syncing and all that kind of stuff, which is, if you're in that weird world of using both, or not so weird, I guess, but <laughs> you can handle both platforms or multiple platforms, that's definitely one to check out um, for sure. So, I, I tried Overcast when it first came out, and maybe this is that I'm running the iOS 8 beta, which can create a number of problems for new apps. <laughs> yeah. But I just didn't find it really compelling. It was kind of odd that that sort of, you know, what was it, ad- adaptive speed adjustment thing? Right. It made all the podcasts that I listened to. First of all, I'm a purist. I listen at 1x. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, take that with with a grain of salt for, for what I'm about to say. But it was just kind of awkward because it would have moments where it would like speed up radically and then you'd become unintelligible and then it would like slow way down. It was so awkward. And I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I like apps that innovate, but I'm not quite sure that innovated in like the right direction. Right. Yeah. And I, the only part of it that I really enjoy is um, having the syncing to the the web. And I don't think Pocket Cast has this, but that ability to, I stop playing on my phone. I sit down at my desk. I can just open up overcast.fm and just hit, the same podcast episode and it's synced and just keep playing from whatever point I was at. Um, I really like that. It's not something as a use case for everybody because most people would probably just sit down and keep using their phone and why bother firing up the browser. But uh, that's me. Yeah. And it, well, maybe it's just because of my iPhone four, it's showing its age well, well beyond its years, <laughs> so to speak. And battery life is more of an issue for me than, you know, if I had a five S or whatever. Um, so that's maybe where that would change for me. But uh, that it's a, it's neat, I guess, in whether long-term, uh, I'll use it, I'm not sure yet. Like I said, I still prefer Pocket Cast overall, but I'm experimenting, playing the field of podcast players. <laughs> well, everybody has to, and, and there's gracious plenty to experiment with. That's the thing. Now we're seeing tons of people building podcast players, and, and I, I joked, you know, that 2013 was the year of the network because I got so many people who were saying, oh, I want to start a network. And I'd ask them, well, have you ever podcasted before? Have you ever <laughs> had a, a consistent show? Well, well, no. I'm like, well, then you're skipping ahead of yourself, you know, starting a network. Yeah. And and I feel like there's a lot of people who are rolling out podcast players now in 2014 and being like, look at my new podcast player. And it's like, have you even surveyed the field of what people want in a podcast player? Well, well, no, it's just a great idea. It's like on-demand media rules. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you, but you also need to do your research first. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Totally. Um, in uh, there's something I was going to ask you there, but I can't remember. It's okay. So did I just eject it? No, no. <laughs> Probably my coffee ran out, and that's where all my ideas come from. So I have to go refill. Um, I guess in wrapping up, uh, obviously, machine.fm is where folks can find the podcasts. Uh, oh, that's what I was going to ask you. Is your pro- we touched on a little bit, and I know we're, we've gone longer than usual, but uh, the the method or our idea behind taking on new shows for for machine uh, the machine. Um, what's your? Is it sort of like anything and everything, or it has to fit sort of a certain niche and quality and things like that? What's sort of your approach to that? That's something we struggle with or, or wrestling yeah. with, I guess, at, at Good Stuff as well. It's just you want to you want to encourage the medium, and you you know how frustrating it can be to just set up your own show and it just sort of sits in its own little vacuum. 
And so we want to be welcoming to new shows, but at the same time, it's we can't go through all the work of setting up a new show and artwork and et cetera to, to have a show just die after two episodes because the person isn't that keen on it after all or whatever. So Right, yeah. And this is something that I think we've been having this conversation at a much higher level than, than even you or I will, will be having here because there's been a lot of talk recently about well, what is the value of a podcast network? Yeah. Is it that they provide bandwidth? Well, okay. I mean, yeah, that's sort of sort of useful. It's, it's kind of required, you know, but you can also go to Libsyn for $5 a month and, and set it up and pay yourself. And is it that they provide a CMS? Well, I mean, you can get WordPress and put that on your own server, put it on Heroku or whatever, and it's free. So I think a lot of the value of podcast networks, or at least the value that people used to pitch as, as the value of their network has kind of changed in many ways. You know, can I supply bandwidth at the cost that Libsyn is supplying bandwidth? No. Um, will our downloads happen faster than Libsyn? Hell yeah. I mean, because we're, we're, using, we're using Akamai to deliver all of our podcasts at the machine. And, and the reason I did that is because that I realized we were getting really slow downloads for a lot of people. I mean, we deliver, I want to say, about 30,000 downloads last month. And, and so, you know, that's a significant number for, for a small upstart network. And when those, when the show comes out, like, you know, you'll, you'll sometimes get, you know, get 4,000 hits, just bam. And, and your system has to be up to that. Uh, but, but talking about, you know, kind of, you know, what are we looking for as a network and what do we bring into the table? What do we pitch to people as, as the value? And then what do we look to get from that in return? I, I think, the value of our network is in how related the various shows are and also kind of, you know, not directly related to that, but also how invested is the host. And that's something you, you alluded to, like you have to have an invested host. I think number one is I would look at it and I would say, does, does this show match up with our, core ideals, which is to teach people something, to expose them to something new, to open their eyes and show them that there's something more than what they're currently experiencing. And I think we hit all those goals with the current shows. I mean, the, the music shows even are just like, they still, they, they open people's eyes. I mean, they don't maybe teach them how to take their business to the next level, but they do. They do open their eyes and they change their perspective. And I think that's something that is kind of core to us. Um, Dispatch and the other shows, they definitely, you know, hit that on the mark because not only are we opening people's eyes to a new concept, but we're giving them the tools to go out and do whatever it is they want to do. I mean, our network tagline is, you know, broadcast to educate, inform and empower. And we run that on every show because that's what I want people to hear is I, I want them to feel like they should leave, you know, listening to this show for an hour with new knowledge, new ways to take whatever it is they're, they're doing to the next level. And that's kind of the, the first, that's the first level of quality control is like, does this concept that someone's bringing to us, does it, does it match up with that? We have a much, much smaller niche than, than twit or than five by five or, or what have you. And, and I think we, we have to kind of rock that niche to know, to, to, to be successful, I, I suppose, is, is the way to put it because I think any more networks are going to be successful based on the value that they bring together and the cohesiveness of all the shows. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think that's that's great. And that's exactly the idea, I think, too, that you can't, uh, people like you referenced, say Twitter 5x5 and those networks, bigger networks or whatever, and there's other sort of uh, silos or whatever you want to call it on the internet where there's other networks, I'm sure, that are the big sort of dog or whatever. And uh, you can't just replicate what they do because there's already a Twitter, there's already a 5x5. So you need to find your own reason why someone might be and you might have a show that sort of overlaps like a you know there's you can't swing a pair of headphones without hitting a tech discussion show obviously on itunes well, but yeah <laughs> and it's swing like a pair of headphones i love that expression i'm gonna use that <laughs> yeah you can uh, take that and run with it uh the the uh and you know not to disparage any of those because i do those shows too where you just sometimes you just do them for the sake of doing because you enjoy it and who cares but by the same right. token if you want to have something that's going to grow and build an audience you need to have some sort of like yeah difference or reason for people to tune in and whether that's a someone who brings an audience you know in terms of a web celebrity type person and they bring an audience to you or you have a, just a specific kind of discussion about just whatever gold-plated usb cables or something that that's the, the whole i don't know how many episodes you could do about that but you know that kind of level of, of geeky discussion or, or niche discussion that you need so i mean but, yeah but that gets at the, the, the heart of like why why networks are valuable and a lot of the the consensus in the discussion that we've had recently has been well you know because networks aren't bringing bandwidth or uh, a, a better cms experience or better content management experience to the people that somehow those were inherently the only things that networks could bring to the table. And I, I beg to differ. I, I think those things can still be valuable in, in some ways, depending on where you are. If you're in the very early startup process of your podcast, then yeah, having bandwidth is, is a huge boon to you, hmm. but it's also not so appealing to people who are already starting. And, and we've had a combination of people who have came to us like Angie that was already you know, pretty large. And then we've had new shows that, that were brought to us. Like, like I said, you know, Joshua brought above the cloud over. Now he, he specifically wanted to start it on the network and, you know, he wanted to know, did I think it'd be a fit? And I said, yes, but you know, there's, there's been some shows that we've had that, that didn't exactly fit into the niche or the production quality wasn't up or, you know, that great. And I, I just think that like dedicated creators who are dedicated to making a good quality show, who understand that a show that is, of, that is of not good quality will not succeed because we're not all amateurs here anymore. I mean, you have to have a, a dedication to audio quality and production quality as well. And if you're going to cut through the noise and then, you know, just, just making sure they fall in line with our ideals. Like that's, that's important because that I think is kind of our core value. But anyway, I, I could talk about that for an hour. So I, I should shut up now. <laughs> yeah. I can say that for another, the next time. <laughs> Uh, okay, so um, like I said, machine.fm is where folks can find the podcast. Anything else that anywhere else that they can find and follow and stalk you on the web these days? Yeah, of course. I mean, if, if you go to iTunes and you search the machine, you'll find everything up there. We have a nice little artist page. And then if you want to read, um, you know, my blog is also kind of a, a useful place for people who are trying to work out the, the hairy podcasting problems. I've posted a couple of things over at nicholaswyoung.com slash notebook. And that might help people out of there. Uh, specifically, the, the the article that's been getting a lot of traffic recently is moving away from FeedBurner um, because I think Google's eventually going right. to shut that down and we need to know how to handle our own feeds and yeah. deal with re redirects and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I guess that, that might be useful to somebody. Nice. All right. Well, thanks, Nicholas, for coming on. Show me your mic. And uh, for anybody who's, 
who's uh, found this randomly or maybe linked from something Nicholas has done and found it that way, you can find this episode at goodstuff.fm slash smym slash 46. That's smym for show me your mic. And obviously, as you can tell, there's 45 previous episodes of uh, interviews with different podcasters and pod, I guess, yeah, podcasters. That's about it. <laughs> um, look at that. The, the, the chat room comes through. They have found episode 17 of Dispatch where we, we had Max Timken on. That's the one I was talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they rounded it up for me. Good yeah, job, the exactly. tiger. That's the great part of uh, having a live. I didn't always live stream this, but it's certainly fun to have uh, some help in in doing research as you're discussing. Um, and uh, good stuff is on the Twitters, of course, at good stuff underscore FM. I'm I, Chris, on Twitter. Uh, Nicholas, what's your, is it Nicholas W. Young as well on Twitter? Yep, you got it. And and the machine is just at Machine FM. So I try to keep it pretty simple. Yeah, exactly. And I recently, as I mentioned last episode, I set up a Show Me Your Mic Twitter account experimenting with having a dedicated show Twitter account. So SMYM underscore FM on the Twitters as well. And I'm curious to see how that works out because that's, that's something we haven't done just yet. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if people will, will intentionally follow just the show account, but I would love to hear how that pans out because, you know, us networks, we're all kind of experimenting and, and benefiting from all the crazy stuff that everybody else tries. Yeah, exactly. And I, it's funny because I posted a poll on Twitter about that just on my personal account, which, you know, should podcasts have a Twitter account? And it was something like 70% yes, 30% no. And then I posted the same thing in a Google Plus podcasting community discussion and kind of got told I shouldn't be doing that by one guy. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> over, it was kind of like all in that kind of discussion, it was like, well, it all depends and you need to know the audience near the show. And, and it was kind of like, well, I just want, I'm just a simple poll. It's not a big deal. Like, you know, yes or no, but all these podcasting consultants, of course, chime in, which is fair. That's what they're there to do. But um, anyways, it was still ended up being overwhelmingly positive. Yes. And so, yeah, it's an experiment. We'll see. I, I have the, the goal of maybe tweeting out occasionally other podcasting resources, but I don't know if I'll, I already have a lot to do. And so we'll see how much that actually happens. I I hear you. I mean, the machine is kind of this, this nebulous organization that all operates around me. I I gave myself the title of executive producer because typically if something goes out in the network, like I had to thumb stamp it to make sure it was good. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I understand like, you know, producing several shows a week is just, it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. I mean, it takes time to, to at least sit down and have the conversation and, you know, then research and stuff is all additional. So yeah, um, respect the, the podcasters who are short on time. We're, we're, yeah. we're doing a lot for you, believe me. <laughs> yes. And uh, speaking of other podcasters, if you are one, uh, I would assume probably most people listening are, are podcasting in some form or maybe thinking about podcasting. But if you are a little bit down the road, say 10 episodes in or some sort of number like that, you can. I'd love to, to have you on the sh- a future episode of the show. Chris at goodstuff.fm is my email address. And speaking of sh- future episodes, the next two, I think or anyways Kyle Roderick is going to be here next week doing show me Mike uh or recording or releasing next week anyways he's doing next week's episode I mentioned he's going to do some guest hosting um and we'll be back I think it's uh me on the 26th and then Kyle on the second or other way around I I could have it mixed up here anyways some different guest hosts in the, in the future here Exper- again another experiment on this podcast so I want to thank you for listening thanks to the folks who tuned in live and pop by to listen Hope we'll see you again next week and uh, have a great day. Bye.